Note from Robert P. Rabbit, 13. I have really enjoyed the long drives I have been on with my new human family. Many times, everyone is sleeping except for Grandad, who always drives, and I get to ask him lots of questions. And if Katie or Emily are awake, we all ask each other questions. They mostly want to know what it is like growing up as a rabbit. Once they asked me about when I first discovered my power to calm down other animals. I figure you might like to hear that answer as well. One day, I was out with my sister Roberta and my mother in Farmer Early's field, and we were having a grand time eating some super tasty rutabagas Mother had just dug up. But then, Roberta and I noticed that Mother was not eating at all, but was staring across the field at the biggest, meanest-looking dog I had ever seen. He was moving toward us, taking careful steps with his teeth bared in a horrible way and with a terrifying low growl coming out of his throat. I was frozen with fear, but that is when I discovered my amazing ability. Without thinking, I took two short hops towards the dog. This confused him, since he expected us all to run and knew that he could overtake one of us without much difficulty. But as I moved toward him, instinct told me to close my blue eye and look straight into his eyes with my pink eye. I felt myself wriggling my nose, lowering and waving my ears slightly, and thinking to myself, lie down, big boy, lie down, and I will not hurt you. Now, I did not have any idea how I would hurt that big dog, but that is what I thought nonetheless, and lo and behold, he actually lay down right in front of me, put his nose on the ground, and looked up at me with his big eyes. I scratched behind his ear, and he wagged his tail at me. I turned around, and Roberta, Mom, and I just hopped off. When I looked behind us, the big dog was still lying there, so I thought to myself, you can get up and go back home now, and that is just what the dog did. My mom told me, that was amazing, Robert P. Rabbit. How did you do that? I have no idea, I said. I just did it, and I have been doing it ever since. Chapter 13. How Grand Are the Tetons? Early the next morning, we packed up both vehicles and headed north toward Wyoming. While everyone was eating breakfast, I texted Ariel about the second clue and asked her to visit Dirtman to see if he could discover anything to help us. Was the place of hospitality a restaurant, a motel, a park, or what? Uncle Eric insisted that we make a few stops during our drive through Utah. We visited Bryce Canyon, which has colorful rocks and canyons that rise up like the spires of a castle, and Capitol Reef, where we took a short hike to stretch our legs and found pools of water in what they call tanks, which are simply depressions in the rocks that catch rainwater and hold it, and saw a whole family of mountain sheep watering at one of them. After a long day of driving, we spent the night in Bear Lake, Utah with our friends Connie and Phil Olson who have a house right on the shore of the lake. The area is known for its raspberries, so we had our fill of the fresh fruit and raspberry milkshakes. When Robert P. Rabbit first saw Phil, he said, Wow, he sure is a big guy. Well, he was a tackle on the Los Angeles Rams football team, I told him. What is a tackle, and what is football, he asked. Football is where grown men choose up sides into two teams to play the game. 
The way to win the game is for your team to take the ball across the goal line at the end of the field the most times within the 60 minutes of the game. A tackle is a member of the team who is either trying to bump aside the players on the other team so his man can advance the ball down the field, or he is trying to jump on the man on the other team who has the ball and wrestle him to the ground so that he will not be able to cross the goal line. So, you're telling me that if I have the ball and am hopping down the field to try to get the ball across the goal line, and Phil is on the other team, he is going to jump on me to stop me, he asked? That's right, I said. You get the idea. Well, no thanks, he said. If Phil Olson falls on me, he will flatten me like a pancake, and I'm not interested in being a rabbit pancake. Hey, Grandad, called Katie. Connie says we can climb the cherry tree in the yard and pick some of the fresh cherries. Can Emily and I do that? I'll watch them, Uncle Eric volunteered. I'll put Katie on one of the lower branches where she can take the cherries from Emily, and I'll make sure that neither of them fall. So, for the next hour and a half, Emily climbed all over the cherry tree, passing the cherries to Katie, while Eric walked around under the tree, ready to catch them if they fell. Luckily, neither of them did, and by the time they were done, they had over half of a grocery bag full of fresh cherries. The next morning, after we said goodbye to Connie and Phil, we ate cherries for hours until we all felt like we were going to burst. There were cherry pits all over the SUV in Uncle Eric's truck. Our drive from Bear Lake into Jackson Hole was one beautiful view after another. There were forests and streams and mountains and valleys. We saw deer and antelope everywhere, and even a couple of beavers, which was an unusual sight since they mostly come out only at night. But there had been a flood in one of the streams, so the beavers were busy swimming back and forth from the shore to their dam with sticks and twigs in their mouths to patch up the holes the flood made in their home. It was an amazing thing to watch, as somehow they knew exactly how big a stick they needed, exactly where to put it, and exactly how much dirt or mud they needed to add to the construction in order to hold it fast. Why don't dams just wash away? asked Emily. Because beavers don't have to totally stop the water, they just make it go up and over their dams. This creates the pond the beavers want to make behind their dams, and puts less pressure on the dams themselves so they don't collapse, at least not until there is a big flood, when there is too much water for the dams to hold back. But why do beavers want to create ponds? Emily asked again. They want to build their houses in ponds so that the basement is underwater. With the only entrance to their house being underwater, beavers can go in and out of their houses without predators being able to do the same thing. They also store aspen branches underwater right next to the doors of their houses so they can eat them during the winter without having to walk across the snow to get food. It seems to me it would be a lot better to walk across a little snow than to have to swim in the freezing cold water to get food, said Robert P. Rabbit. Well, it is a good thing you are not a beaver then, I told him. Oh, don't worry about that, big boy, he said. I do not intend to become a beaver. They have to stay so busy all of the time just to keep alive. I would rather have the life of luxury of a rabbit, if you please. While we were traveling, Robert P. Rabbit stayed awake the entire trip. As we drove into Jackson Hole, he was sitting next to me in the front seat, since Polly was in Uncle Eric's truck with Will. Katie and Emily were fast asleep in the back seat. He asked me, What in the world are those big arches? They look like piles of deer horns. 
You are mostly right, I answered. Each year in the spring, the Boy Scouts are allowed to go out into the elk preserve outside of town, and they gather up all of the elk horns they can find. When they come back, they stack these horns up to make big arches, and it gives the town a very unique attraction. What do you mean they gather up the horns? Aren't all of the horns attached to the elk? Robert P. Rabbit asked with concern. Well, not exactly, I explained. You see, a male elk will drop his horns every year and grow a new set. It doesn't hurt them. They just fall to the ground, and the Boy Scouts are there to pick them up in the spring. That seems like a lot of trouble. The Boy Scouts don't mind, I said. They get to sell any antlers left over after they make the arches, because people want them to put on their walls or make lamps or chandeliers out of them. No, Robert P. Rabbit cut in. I mean, it seems like a lot of trouble for the elk. Why doesn't he just keep the ones he has? Then he wouldn't have to grow new ones every year. Not having a good answer for him, I simply said, I don't know, Robert P. Rabbit. Why don't you ask one of the elk? Well, I'm pretty sure that the elk are not going to be able to communicate like we rabbits can, said Robert P. Rabbit, so I guess that will just remain a mystery for now. We drove through to the other side of town, and I showed Robert P. Rabbit the elk preserve that stretched for several miles along the right side of the highway. Then I had him look to the left, and lo and behold, there were the Grand Teton Mountains. What do you think? I asked Robert P. Rabbit. I really don't know what to say, he told me. I have never seen any mountains like them. They rise up so suddenly from the ground, and they're so rugged-looking and so steep that it looks impossible to climb any of them. Well then, I said, it might interest you to know that Uncle Eric has climbed every one of those mountains to the very top. I was glad at least somebody in the SUV besides me had the experience of seeing the Grand Teton Mountains as we entered the Teton Valley. Everyone else just kept sleeping. Where we were headed was Signal Mountain Lodge, north of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We were having dinner there, and Uncle Eric had reserved rooms for us for the night. He was able to do this, as some years earlier he had worked at that lodge, and the manager of the lodge, who had been his boss, was still there. The lodge is on Jackson Lake, with a beautiful view of the Teton Mountains. After we checked into our rooms, and everyone else headed to the dining room for dinner, I went into the great room and sat down in a puffy chair in front of the fireplace, and opened my emails hoping for something from Dirt Man. Sure enough, there was a long email. It did not look very promising at first, but it got better as I read on. Here is what he said. There is no zoo in Jackson Hole. There is no statue of a buffalo there. However, I have analyzed the clue, and I determined that the place of hospitality had to be a place for guests. In addition, if there is hospitality, there has to be someone to give you that hospitality. So I eliminated parks and picnic areas, as there are not normally people there to give you hospitality. I thought I might have to come back to them later, but as it turned out, I didn't have to consider parks and picnic areas at all, because I decided that if you want to be near the most buffalo, you should start with the guest ranches in the area. I looked up all of the guest ranches, and there are quite a few of them, I eliminated all of them that did not have cabins, since you need to be able to see buffalo from the porch of a cabin, and then I looked up everything I could find out about buffalo herds in the area. Unfortunately, there are not any definite herds that you can identify and be sure will always be in the same place when you look off your cabin porch. There are only scattered buffalo that could be anywhere in either the Teton National Park 
or in Yellowstone Park nearby, so you cannot be certain of seeing buffalo at any time of the day or night from your cabin porch, much less at any season. Then I looked at the clue more carefully, and I realized that it does not say you will see a buffalo, but rather that you will see the buffalo, so I determined it must be a particular buffalo. So then I researched the buffalo in and around Jackson Hole and came up with the Buffalo River. It was easy then to find the ranch that was right along the Buffalo River that had cabins close enough to the river to see it any time you went out on the porch of one of the cabins. And there is only one. It is Turpin Meadow Ranch in Moran, Wyoming, just north of Jackson Hole in the shadow of the Teton Mountains. So that is where you need to go next. So I took the liberty of making reservations for all of you for the next four days. When we all got back together after dinner, I told them what Dirtman had said, and that we needed to get an early start in the morning so that we could check into the Turpin Meadow Ranch and begin our search. 